Welcome to the TEFL Training Institute podcast, the bite-sized TEFL podcast for teachers, trainers, and managers. Welcome back to the TEFL Training Institute podcast, everyone. Our guest this week is Hugh Deller. Many of you might have heard of Hugh from his course books, Innovations and Outcomes, or for being the co-founder of the Lexical Lab. But probably most of you that have heard of Hugh maybe know him because of his association with the Lexical approach. And actually, Hugh started his writing career working with Michael Lewis and Jimmy Hill, who wrote that book. And in this episode, I asked Hugh about teaching grammar lexically. So using the principles behind the Lexical approach, not to teach vocabulary, but to teach grammar. I hope you enjoy the interview. Hi, Hugh. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. I think when most people hear, you know, about teaching lexically, the last thing they think of is probably grammar. I think people usually will assume that anything to do, you know, that has lexis in it or lexically is going to be all about teaching vocabulary. Yeah. What does teaching grammar have to do with teaching lexically? Can you tell us a bit about that? So I guess the first thing I would say about it is I think there's a really common misconception that if you're interested in a kind of lexical way of looking at language, you're not interested in grammar. This whole idea annoys me a lot. I think the first thing to say is once you get your head round the, that way of looking at language, really what you become interested in is patterns. And you start to realise there are hundreds and hundreds of different patterns within the language, some of them more generative than others. Say you take something like just because it doesn't mean. I mean, that's a generative pattern. You know, just because I'm a teacher, it doesn't mean I failed at everything else. Just because I'm English, it doesn't mean I'm a football hooligan. Just because I'm a man, it doesn't mean I can't cook, etc. That's a generative pattern that doesn't get taught because that's not thought of as grammar. Whereas the third conditional, you know, if you hadn't, mm, this wouldn't have, mm, that does get taught of as grammar. Some things actually like little kind of bits of patterns, like just because it doesn't mean, often generate more possible sentences than some things that we think of as grammar. So things like the future perfect continuous that always gets taught as grammar. When you start thinking about what you might ever possibly say using it, you know, there's hardly anything. It's things like, I'll have been living here, working here, 10 years, next June, come December. Basically, there's very, very little that you generate using that thing that you think of as grammar, whereas other things that you don't think of as grammar generate a lot. So I guess the first thing to say about it is, for me, I'm interested in patterns, and I think patterns are very useful. And patterns obviously include all of the things that you traditionally think of as grammar, Plus, there's a whole load of other things that are also patterns that we don't think of as grammar. There was a question just now on my Facebook group, which was many, uh, and it, it was something about um, many a poet and writer has claimed that. And the question was something like, what is this use of many? Uh, I've never noticed it before. How does it work? And, you know, is that grammar? Is that vocabulary? Uh, who cares? It's a little pattern. And so thinking about how those patterns work, for me, that's no different to thinking about how the present simple works or how, how a mixed conditional works. 
I think the biggest issue I have with grammar is, in a way, similar to the biggest issue I have with vocabulary, which is by presenting, practicing, and producing something, we're deluding ourselves if we think this leads to any real noticeable increase in ability to use that grammar across a broad spectrum of topics. I kind of long ago stopped thinking that the whole PPP paradigm was particularly useful. I think it's useful to study grammar in the traditional sense. I think it needs to be embedded within a broader communicative context. I think practicing structural grammar in isolation is slightly deranged. So I think those kind of exercises where you do, what would you do if you won the lottery? I would buy a house. Where would your house be? They're easy to do those lessons and you think you're practicing the grammar. But the problem really is for people that when you use grammar outside of the English lesson, you use it in interaction with all kinds of other structures and with different bits of vocabulary. And that actually, if you're talking about the lottery, you probably say, when I win the lottery, I'm going to. Because if you realised it was a, you know, a hypothetical situation, you wouldn't gamble on it in the first place. So I think it's thinking about what's the grammar do, okay? So if you're going to learn, I don't know, should have or, or, or the future perfect, what do we use that grammar to do? What's the communicative outcome? What other structures might that commonly interact with? And how can we practice it in a meaningful way that isn't just 54 uses of that particular structure in one conversation and nothing else? I think then, when you're thinking more about communication and conversation and how vocabulary works and thinking about reformulating student output and turning that into board work, all of that stuff, that involves a lot more exposure to the core grammatical structures than the traditional way of just teaching grammar plus words does. I think the problem I had when I was a younger teacher would be I would do my lesson on, say, the second conditional. It wouldn't come back in the book at all because the book was focused on moving on to look at the next grammatical structure after that, which was probably you know, the third conditional or passives or something. Um, you wouldn't see it in examples in the book because they were focusing on something else by that stage. So because I'd then still be conscious that students couldn't use it properly, I'd do another massed practice of the grammar. And that's just sort of repeating the same mistake twice. I guess now the way I've come to think about it much more is you need to be exposed to how those patterns work over time. What's interesting is when you start thinking about what you do with vocabulary and when you start reformulating student language, the vast majority of what you end up with unconsciously doesn't use that much grammar. It uses the present simple, the past simple, the present perfect, going to, will. It doesn't use the future perfect continuous. Um, it, it doesn't use a lot of what you might think of more traditionally as grammar. I mean, I keep lists of things that have come up from what I've said in classes, and you look through them, and they're quite complicated things to say, but that's not because of the grammar. You know, I mean, here's some things from a lesson the other day. I didn't get in until midnight last night. So you've got that didn't until. I didn't leave home until I was 28. I didn't have my first girlfriend until I was 21. I find the Tate a bit overwhelming, to be honest. There's too much to take in in one go. 
that's all present simple, but it's quite difficult to express that idea because it's quite lexically sophisticated. Um, every now and then you get little things like, I'd been planning to revise this weekend, but I didn't get round to it in the end. There just aren't enough hours in the day. And so I guess I think, yes, at some point you need to see the past perfect continuous, but don't think that just doing 20 minutes on it in class will lead to uptake of it. In the end, what leads to uptake of it is seeing those kinds of examples in meaningful contexts, possibly in terms of things you tried to say yourself, reformulated, rephrased over time. You know, it takes time and it takes exposure and experience to get used to those things. So, it, you know, not anti-grammar tooting at all. It's just a different way of thinking about how grammar's learned, I think. I mean, absolutely. I mean, I think the main problem here is that we base our lessons around this, I think, misguided notion that it's possible to learn some grammar in the space of an hour. Yeah, it's just exactly. Not. I mean, maybe we can learn it, or students exactly. can learn it, but it's definitely not possible to acquire something in the space of an hour. You know, we present, and then we get the students to practice and produce something, and then some language gets ticked off, and then you move on to something in the next lesson. But the, the problem is that, you know, we know from research that students will go on to forget something like 95%, or even more than that, of whatever they've just learned in that lesson. Yeah, like, can it immediately tested and assessed it at the end of this lesson? Yeah. Now, I've heard Brian Tomlinson before say that the reason that PPP is so popular and it's so problematic is because it gives this illusion of learning. You know, the, the students can say such and such at the end of the class, and that means that you've met your aims, and then you can move on and go and teach something in the next class. But you know, it doesn't really take account of how people learn. And there seems to be a lot of evidence now to show that the way learning really happens is over long periods of time. And it needs recycling and needs to be interleaving, practicing different things at the same time. And yet that just doesn't really seem to happen very much at all in, in our profession. And I think it's very difficult for us to change that. And it's very challenging to move away from that because there's PPP paradigm of the way that we structure things, it's integrated into just about everything from teacher training to course books uh, to the, the way lessons get observed, everything. I'm sure you've had that thing yourself of people teaching you how to say things in foreign languages and you successfully produce them and maybe even use them for a limited period of time. And then two weeks later, completely gone. So much stuff I've learned over the years has been like that. I go to Russia a lot for work, and Russian friends have tried to teach me various things. I've used them over the course of an evening. Wake up the next morning, not a clue. So I think just producing things doesn't mean there's any uptake. So we're all agreed then that PPP is maybe not the best way of staging lessons and practice, uh, at least not in the long term. What do you see as maybe being a, a viable alternative? So I think it's you still have some kind of PPP, but you have the PPP embedded within a broader communicative context, okay, is the first thing. The second thing is if you're focusing more on spoken language, primarily, conversations themselves recycle everyday grammar and vocabulary naturally, so you're going to have more exposure to an experience of the things that you're going to need the most just occurring regularly. If you are thinking about vocabulary in terms of how it's used or how students might hear it used, it's going to come with grammar. 
when I get those sort of grammar anxiety cases, like the young Italian lads who are like, but where is the grammar? You look at the board. Well, what's the tense here? Present perfect. Good. Why? From the past to now. Good. Just checking. And sometimes you do a little bit of that. Sometimes you just, you're teaching a piece of vocabulary. Maybe you've taught something like cancel and you've got an example on the board about, listen, my flight's been cancelled because of bad weather. I'm not going to fly until tomorrow morning. And you ask them, what tense is it? It's the present perfect. Active or passive? Passive. How do you know? Has been cancelled. Yeah, why? From the past to now. Good. Just checking. That will come back all the time. If you're thinking about presenting vocabulary and helping students say what they're trying to say better, using the board and using examples, the grammar's always going to be there. So I think in the end... It's just recognising that, fine, do your little PPP lesson, do a little bit of controlled practice, have a little look at the present perfect. But in order to then get competent at using that, it's probably best not to do another photocopied page from Murphy's and a one-hour communication game. It's thinking about just making sure that you see that all the time over time. And, that you know, accepting that, that thing I said earlier about vocabulary knowledge – your grammatical knowledge will still be provisional and it will still be developing. And that what's hard about grammar isn't the structure and it isn't the meaning. You know, you can learn the present continuous. Um, it means started, not finished, or arrangement in the future. And it's I, you, he, she, form of the verb to be plus ing. Almost every student learns that in, in the first term of English language learning. That doesn't help you say they're denying him access to a lawyer. You know, that doesn't help you say, my boss thinks I'm not pulling my weight. You have to learn that stuff by seeing it in combination with vocabulary in the context of talking about something meaningful. you enjoyed that interview that was Hugh Deller once again so check out his website www.lexicallab all one word dot com for teacher training courses videos blog articles and also check out teaching lexically principles and practice that's written for teachers and that's from Delta Publishing so thanks for listening and we'll see you again next episode goodbye videos and blogs, visit our website www.tefeltraininginstitute.com If you've got a question or a topic you'd like us to discuss, leave us a comment. And if you want to keep up to date with our latest content, add us on WeChat at Tefeltraininginstitute. If you enjoy our podcast, please rate us on iTunes. <laughs>